On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by James Reed. James is an entrepreneur, author, and charity campaigner. He is chairman of Reed, the recruitment specialist, which employ over 5,000 staff with annual revenues in excess of £1 billion. Reed receives more than 40 million job applications a year and has delivered over 100 programmes, helping more than 150,000 people who have been long-term unemployed back into work. The company's purpose is improving lives through work. James is also chairman of the Big Five Trust, a match funding charity that has raised over £156 million for thousands of good causes. He is author of a number of books, including the best-selling Why You, 101 Interview Questions You'll Never Fear Again, and Life's Work, 12 Proven Ways to Fast Track Your Career. James lives in London with his wife, Nicola, and I have six adult children. James Reed, absolutely delighted to have you on the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. You, you probably don't need any introduction, but just give us an overview of your journey from school all the way through to now, and we'll, we'll dive into some elements of that. Hello, Chris. Um, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Um, well, journey, yeah, I, I think of life as a journey, and, 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 I, and I like to sort of imagine myself as an explorer. <laughs> so, so I think, you know, it's, it's about um, learning all the way, isn't it? And I think, you know, from the day we're born, we're, we emerge knowing nothing, and we, we're sort of learning, whether it's to eat, to walk, to speak, mm. and, then, and then you continue that process, I think, in life and at, and at work. And, and I suppose I spent, you know, I've spent the last 30 years plus working in recruitment. So um, I've, I've learned quite a bit about that. But before that, you know, I worked in, in, in aid work. I worked at the BBC for a while doing program production. I worked in advertising at Saatchi and Saatchi. And my mm-hmm. first sort of formal job was working for The Body Shop, which was founded by the entrepreneur, wonderful entrepreneur, Anita Roddick. Of course, yes. And her husband, Gordon. Mm. And I worked for them, um, you know, in my early 20s. So, so I've learned, you know, from all these different experiences along the way, um, and and I think you know you learn so much at school and you learn so much at business school, but you can learn so much, you know, out there by trying things, by exploring, what, you know, yeah. your life in general. And so I don't think you know, and sometimes you have to unlearn things that you've learned. Mm. So I think it's um, it's important, I think, to keep an open mind. And to to keep traveling on that journey, to try not to get stuck. Sure. The unlearning is important, isn't it? Because I think um, how we're managed, how we're schooled, how we're educated, how we're parented has a massive effect on how we how we act in our own lives. Would you say that recruitment itself is a good barometer for life and why? Well, I love recruitment. And, and I was sort of, I suppose I was born into it mm. because my father was a recruiter and started Reed. Yeah, at mm. the age of twenty six, uh, in Hounslow, with seventy five pounds, and and, and wow. he, he and the rest of us have grown the company from then. <clears throat> so so it's it's sort of something I really grew up with. So I, mm. I suppose I, I I consider myself a lifer when it comes to recruitment, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know I I'm, I don't want to retire. I want to continue. I want to keep learning, and and, and I want to continue working with people and helping people mm. progress their lives and careers. Because yeah, I find that incredibly rewarding. And, and I, sure. I really enjoy it. And I feel very lucky to have the job that I have. Hmm. So I think, I mean, recruitment does cover all aspects of life, really, doesn't it? It's such a sort of people-oriented activity. Um, and every person's journey 
as you just called it, yes. is different. Yes. So sort of trying to understand that person, what their priorities are, hmm. what their hopes and dreams are, I think is really important. And you know, that's what we seek to do and uh, you know, with the people who join our business and, and hmm. also more widely, obviously, with our candidates and applicants. I agree. I mean, th there seems to be a general misconception outside the sector about recruitment. Um, I think there's a, a hell of a lot of emotional intelligence required to be successful at it because you're not dealing with an inanimate object, you're dealing with people who can say yes or no and you have to, I mean you can be a specialist in recruitment and that takes you so far but I think you need to be a specialist in people, right? Definitely, yeah. And, and, and people are the most important thing in business. So I think recruitment is the most important function in business because <laughs> every business that's growing has got yeah. to add to the team. And I genuinely believe that and I think Businesses that overlook that or disregard that do so at their peril. Mm. Or, and businesses that devalue what recruiters do do yes. so at their peril because we can add huge value to organizations. And many of them have said that to me over the years. You know, mm -hmm. This team that you recruited for has made a massive difference. Yeah. Um, and, and we can see it time and time again. And the difference between placing you know, a good person or, or even better, the absolutely right person in a job and, and the wrong person is massive. Totally. So, you know, we did a piece of research years ago where we asked employers, you know, if you could hire one person with the winning mindset, yes. as we, as we yes. called it, um, how many uh, over how many people, other people, ordinary hires would mm. you, you know, would you exchange that one person? Yeah. And, and the answer was seven. So they'd trade seven people Absolutely. for one with the winning mindset. So that's an indication of the value. So I think we're doing really important work for, for the organizations, employers that we work with. And I think it's really important to stress this for the individuals themselves because we're helping people, we're enabling people progress in their lives and careers. Yeah. And that's really so important. And mm. we, uh, Reed, we do quite a lot of work and we have done over the last 20 years with people who have been made long-term unemployed. Sure. And when you see sure. the difference that progressing and getting a job makes to those people, mm. uh, it's huge and, and, and incredibly sort of rewarding and satisfying. So I think what we do as recruiters is really important. I yes. think you know, I feel very proud of it. I agree. And, and I'm always prepared to stick up for it when challenged. Yeah, when some, sometimes you know, yeah. employer in negotiations say, well, you don't do much, do you? Yeah. Send us a few people. Yeah. Well, how wrong is that? You know, we've invested years and years of effort, capital, totally. technology, brand to build a business. Mm. And, and um, that's true of yeah. every recruiter that's successfully you know, working in the market. I think that's correct. And I think when I'm challenged on fees or someone challenges the industry on, on our fees, I, I would flop that back to them and say what price would you put on someone being in your business for five to ten years and you know you can't put a price and when you ex extrapolate out that out finding that right person the cost of getting it right and the cost of getting it wrong i mean this again that's another misconception isn't it the value of what we do is i think it's it's underestimated you know someone was asking about the fees the other day <laughs> so right. challenging my fee okay. uh, our fees on something and, and they yeah. hired quite a lot of people and they'd hired a senior person and i said so don't you, you don't think the last person we found for you added that much value yeah. you, know, you wouldn't pay that again yeah and they said well hang on a minute <laughs> no, that's not the case you know they have, absolutely have and so when you look hmm. at it in the sort of context of yeah. what someone's contribution is you know for a good person who's highly skilled who's going to bring a lot to the party mm the fee should fade into insignificance. There's a couple of things you mentioned about um, what's involved and also mindset. I think I'll do what's involved first because it's not just as simple as getting a JD and matching that CV to that JD. I think that a really good recruitment consultant takes a holistic view of the problem that, that they're solving. What would you say to that? Well, I think they really need to understand the problem that they're seeking to solve. So, so you know, having a really strong relationship with the 
with the client, with the employer, knowing yeah. their business, <laughs> understanding the particular needs of that role, I think is really important. Understanding the culture of the business, mm. um, so so that the, the sort of more sort of sensitive and empathetic and and inquiring the recruiter is the better. Yes, and and, and then similarly, they've got to really be obviously. It's we're seeking a match, aren't we, to mm. to, to do the same. Um, with the with the applicants, yeah. so yeah, that's a real skill, and it, and and it takes a sort of it, you can develop it over time, and almost ultimately, it's an intuitive understanding of Absolutely. business and people that makes makes a recruiter really effective. On the intuitive piece, I think your book's called this, one of your books is called the second seven second sorry seven second CV. Should I say? Yeah, it's a bit of a tongue twister. Yeah. <laughs> seven. I'll, I'll get my words CV. out as the host. Yeah, right. should. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, I, I, I believe that a lot of recruiters do do that as well, but how can they justify that to a candidate? Well, the, the thesis or the premise of the book is that you know, employers or recruiters will look at your CV for seven seconds yeah. in the first in, which is based on research. So, yeah. um, so you know, I think that's the reality that many um, yeah. applicants have to live with. So yeah. how, how do we help you stand out? And and it, And it's really about thinking about what they're looking for mm. you know, what, what you know how am i the solution to their particular problem yes and presenting yourself in that way o- obviously and importantly you have to do that honestly and, 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 and accurately mm. but that's what you need to think about is sort of put yourself in their shoes yeah and course. think what are they looking for what's the problem they're seeking so and to what extent am i the solution i think we say this to a lot of people who, who are applying for jobs or haven't been in, you know, been looking for a long time or been out of work. Yeah. You know, how are you the solution to their problem? You know, a job, you know, a job I firmly believe is a problem to be solved. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yes. Are you the solution, Chris? Mm. You know, that's that's the question ultimately. Well, that's the yeah. question that the employer sitting opposite you is going to yeah. be answering for themselves. Yeah. You touched on mindset. Um, one of my businesses is called based mindset and it's the base stands for behaviors attitudes skills and experience because i believe that behaviors and attitudes are as important or more important than skills and experience what i mean is that a lot of companies they they hire on skills and experience and they'll fire on behaviors and attitude and it should be the other way around if that's my view um and reading some of your literature i, I believe you feel the, the same about that yeah I, I would go so far as to say that mindset trumps skills actually mm. And the, that's more important because, especially now, where where things are changing so fast, skills come and go, don't they? I mean, you, absolutely. You, you know, the code that you were good at writing three years ago is less and less relevant now. Yes. So, so you know, the mindset that you bring uh, uh, is so important, and and that was the basis of the research that we did a decade ago now mm. for a book that I wrote with a, a a co-author, Paul Stoltz from America, called "Put Your Mindset to Work." Right. And that right. and that actually showed that when pushed, you know, when pushed. To make a decision, if you ask an employer, you have two two applicants. You know who would you choose? The one with all the skills for the job, but not yes. the desired mindset. Yes. Or the one with the desired mindset, and but not all the skills. Ninety four percent chose mindset ahead of mm. skills. So, they, but employers say that when pushed, but do they actually do that when they're when yeah. they're looking at these CVs and making choices? And, and often I ask people who, who've made a poor hire, you know. Did you think at the time? Yeah. Did you think at the time that did you have any sort of anxiety or mm. sense that you might be making a mistake? And so often they say, "Yeah, I had, I had a feeling, intuition. That, uh, yeah, it wasn't yeah. quite right, or I didn't didn't really think that they were ideal, but they had it they had it all on paper." Mm. And, and I think that's where we should perhaps listen a bit more to those those I think little voices. Right. I was having this discussion with one of my clients, and he was discussing it with his client that. Um, there were two candidates going for a role. One candidate did this kind of 
special test and he got 80 percent the other candidate got 50 or 60 but they, they took the candidate that got 50 or 60 because they believed he took them on the journey um they bonded with him better and the other guy kind of gave up after 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 too easily whereas the other guy who got less results less skill or was less on paper kind of less relevant they felt he was a better fit for the culture and the journey and the and the values of the business and it was and sometimes i think we get bemused by clients decisions or they don't even know why they say yes or no i think it's a real it's a real science behind that well i think perseverance is a really important human quality so if if the if the applicant who had maybe a less developed skill set showed more perseverance in sort of Absolutely. wanting to develop their skills and mm. and in, and and in seeking to answer those questions then that would make them quite an attractive candidate for me and and I suppose someone who threw in the towel too soon you'd think yeah. well why did they do that so yeah i think that's a, a a highly relevant thing to look for um i mean what you really want is the the person has, who brings both to the party of course uh, and 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 you know as a as a worker or entrepreneur, you try and bring both to the party, don't you? Or if you're trying to be Absolutely. You know, successful in your career, you want to develop really good skills and, mm. and you want to have a, mm-hmm. a strong mindset. So, you know, you yeah. can pick those things up you know, all around you. You can learn things every day about yeah, how course. to develop your own approach and, and also new, new skills. So that's what we look for. But I can see why that answer arose in that situation. There's quite a few more recruitment-related questions. I think I'm going to save for later on. This is the Purpose-Led Leadership Podcast. I'm a passionate advocate of once you've defined your purpose in life and in business, then you've got a great chance of actually achieving success in a fulfilled way. I'm not sure how large Reed is. I think it's more than a billion pounds in terms of annual revenue. Correct me if I'm wrong. How do you define your purpose what, what is your purpose? You know, when you've reached that kind of level, what's it all about? Why are you doing it? Yeah, well, it's a good question. And it's a very important one. And, and the purpose we have at Reed is very simple. It's four words and it's improving lives through work. Mm-hmm. And, and we seek you know, as investors to pursue business activities that do that. Um, we want what I like about that purpose and its simplicity is everyone can do that every yeah. day they come to work in one way or another mm. so I hope you know by doing this podcast if I give someone out there an idea or a thought that they can use that yeah. that, that I've maybe made a little progress against that purpose sure sure so so that can that applies to everyone in our business and everyone I think can bring something to that particular purpose mm. every single day <clears throat> and and it goes back to our family and what, what we're about as a sort of entrepreneurial family yes so we, we also have very simple values in our business mm-hmm. and, and they're non-negotiable you know we're fair open and honest we take ownership yeah and we work together and that's yeah. it team teamwork <laughs> yeah, we work together and and, and, and you're there <laughs> very important to us because so, they're our family's values really so mm. so what i think is interesting in in business is things that you know, people are always asking what's going to change what's next what's happening and the change is sort of ever present yeah but i think you want to ask yourself what's fixed what's constant and, and that's where the purpose and the values yes. sort of come in. It evolves, I guess, yes. Yeah. Well, I think for me, you know, improving lives through work is something we've been doing mm. in a way since 1960. Yeah. But the way we do it and the, and the breadth of, of service offerings that we do yeah. um, has really yeah. changed. Hmm. So, so you know, as I mentioned, we do more work now with people who have been long-term unemployed. We never Probably. used to do that. Um, we do we do learning and development. Mm. So there are new things. Can we doing well being? So there are new things that we're off because people think you know a big large corporate organisation such as yourself. Um, 
the, the myth, or it might not be, is is that um, there's no identity. You know, you're you're, sen- you're not really much sales involved. You're, you're essentially order takers. I've I've seen this um, being discussed, and people are leaving corporates or setting up on their own because they want that that entrepreneurialism. They want that freedom. They don't want to be you know the same as everyone else. So how have you how have you um, maintained a maintained a culture of kind of progression and continual development and all that kind of stuff without kind of you know being Mr. Corporate or Mrs. Corporate. I mean in terms of things like dress code, there's work from anywhere, there's all this kind of stuff that you've had to contend with, isn't it? Oh yeah, people used to hate our dress code. I, I, I used yeah. to wear a reed tie religiously. <laughs> uh, it sort of it sort of went with the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and uh, we don't have that dress code anymore. But that that was one right. of the things that sort of grated with people. Uh, and dress codes are sort of, uh, I think they're largely a thing of the past. But, it, mm. but but then there are so many sort of informal dress codes, aren't there? In, in yeah. different sort of business cultures, but. Uh, the, it's a it's a good question. I think the the bigger a company be- becomes, the harder it is perhaps to maintain that sort of yeah. family ethos. That yeah, you know, when you know everyone and, and and you know what's happening in their lives, that's obviously a different type of environment mm. to where you've got five thousand people. And of course, many have only joined recently. So, you know, in the pandemic, we had some people join and leave that we never met because they were yeah. working remotely. And and I think this remote working makes it more difficult in some ways. Yes. But I, I, I suppose it's to do with the culture, and I think that the, the founder or the, you know, the entrepreneurial origin story is very important in a business. Absolutely, um, agree with that. To, to sort of give you a, a sense of what you know, our family, our business has very humble origins, mm. you know, and, and that, that, and we, I hope, remain true to that. Yeah, yeah, we, we're not sort of we're fairly frugal in our approach. We yeah. care about people. We want to do a good job for our customers. Um, that's that's really important to us. So so the origin of the company will have a big bearing on how it grows and develops. Um, yeah. And yeah, I hate it when people leave our business as they inevitably do because yeah. I always feel they take a bit of the company with them. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you know some people. You know, tomorrow I'm going to be meeting a colleague who's been with us forty years and wow. celebrating her. Yeah, yeah. Um, over a brunch in Stratford, East London. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. She's a wonderful woman who's mm. uh, who, who's done a fantastic job for 40 years now. Wow, so we do have quite a lot of people in our business who've been with us a long time. Mm. Um, she's an outlier, but every every year we celebrate those people. You know, anyone who's been over 10 years with the company, yeah. we invite to a special lunch at the Ritz Hotel. Um, they yeah. get a sabbatical for six weeks, paid wow. sabbatical. Um, so we put a premium on sort of loyalty and tenure, and I think for a lot of people that's that's important. Mm. I think loyalty is important. It is. Um, ultimately, it's a relationship, isn't it, between yeah. the company and the people who work in it? So you know, we try and do those things, but I don't expect you know anyone to stay forever. No, of and, and of course they don't. Um, I just hope they stay long enough to to make an impact and enjoy themselves yeah. and then and then whatever they do next that they continue to progress i think that's an important part you know unless someone leaves under a real dark cloud i think the mantra ideally should be red carpet in and red carpet out so champion the person that leaves and i, I always got a sense of pride of not just building my business but the people who left my business to go on to build their own businesses i got a lot of pride out of that because when you use the word family Although you've got some great examples of people being with you for 20, 30, 40 years, which is phenomenal, we can't expect people to stay for life either, right? Would you say? 
No, I haven't heard that red carpet in red carpet. I mean, my, our, our sort of bar was slightly lower. My father said to me years ago, he said, he said to me, yeah, I don't want to have to cross the street if I see someone who used to work for me. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> so they're about, dead to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? And I, and I, and I, sometimes I feel, is this the right? I've never been. I've never been to a leaving party. Right. Not once. In <laughs> 30 years. It's a good thing, isn't it? Well, but it's not because people haven't left. I just think, yeah, you know, I wish them well, but, but I'd rather put my energy and emphasis on the people coming in or the mm, people who are there absolutely. than who are sort of leaving. Yeah. But we, we, we have a wonderful network of former colleagues uh, yeah. uh, and, um, you know, who remain friends and champions of the business. Yeah. Many of them are clients. And, and, and I suppose that's what you want to create, isn't it? You, you know, mm. a, a, a period in one's life or career is is like a chapter in a story and you want people to think that their chapter yeah. at Reed was a good one and a happy one and one yeah. that they're pleased that they participated in rather I'm glad that's over let's move yeah, on so you know I hope they leave with it you know I feel sad when people leave mm. I mean you see on LinkedIn now don't you people putting posts all the time I'm moving on and, and that brings it yeah. home a lot because like, oh no she's gone or you know so it's a, it's a, it's fairly visible now on linkedin i mean i i, I might be wrong again I'm, i think read online your website has about 18 million active users is that yeah there or thereabouts so i got that right, right which is good and li linkedin uh, I, I guess you'd see that as a, an ally and also maybe as some sort of competitor as well what's your view on on linkedin personal branding all that kind of stuff well many years ago linkedin invited me to lunch Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, well, I was slightly surprised. Yeah, and, they, and they, 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 the guy, the host, I probably shouldn't say who it was. He he began the lunch by saying, "We we had at one point thought we wanted to kill you." Right. <laughs> so, yeah. I hope this invitation is a sign you've changed your mind. Yeah. And and and, and, uh, and and indeed it was. But I mean, he was just being friendly. But yeah. But it, I think LinkedIn is is um, has been a great service to recruiters. Clearly, because mm. you know it brings a lot of people sure. um, to our attention that maybe we might have missed, and we all use it. Um, I think it might also have meant that some business goes you know, in house in ways that yeah. perhaps didn't before. Um, and I, I suppose over time, I've grown. I, I'm a fiercely competitive person, but over time, I've I've grown to think <laughs> of how can we make competition an opportunity. Sure. And I suppose that sure. began when we, we enabled competitors to use read.co.uk. Yes. So we effectively converted competitors into customers. I think that's such a, a new way of looking at it. Even when I was doing it back in the 90s and noughties, it was like uh, the competition were the competition. And it was, and it was let's not give up market share. But I think there's an age of kind of collaboration and, you know, you, there's enough abundance. There's, a, there's enough out there. If you, Why not jo not join forces, but why not complement and collaborate rather than compete? Yeah, I suppose crudely, if, if you advertise a job online and you get 20 applicants, only one of them is going to get the job. Where do the other 19 go? And yeah. if, you can, if you can market them out to yeah. other agencies or make that work mm. for you and for them, then that's good for everyone, isn't it? So I think the, yeah. the market with these developments that have been enabled by technology has sure. become more efficient. Yes, and, and um, you know, that enables us to reach more people, and yeah. and I think you know some of the challenges we we're having to recruit for are, are more complex as well. Mm. So mm. yeah, we have obviously managed service agreements where we have multiple agencies yeah, in course. support, where we're supporting local authorities with every range of you know mm. worker, you know from gardener to social worker. Yes, of you know, course. You need you need a good bunch of friendly yeah. suppliers to make that happen and that's so we're, we're very networked now aren't we perhaps in a way that we weren't in the 90s we are in terms of the, the the cv there was a post by stephen bartlett the dragon and he said that personal branding is the new cv and i kind of agreed with that to an extent but 
how do you feel the CV is going to change moving forward? Do you think it's going to become obsolete? Do you think personal branding is it going to be that important? What's you know? Because I think I think the mechanic of introdu- introductions is changing, isn't it? Well, I think with branding it is if I ask you to name some brands, they're quite likely to be big, well-known. Yeah. yeah. People will say, well, Virgin, don't mm. they? <laughs> Richard Coca-Cola Branson, or Nike. Richard Branson, yeah. yeah, he doesn't need a CV, does he? No, hopefully <laughs> <laughs> not. But, but you know, is that true yeah. for the rest of us? Mm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and the, the, the great function that the CV serves is it's a sort of little – well, it means summary of my life, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's a it's a little summary on a, effectively a postage stamp sure. that gives someone that someone can get some input or data from in seven seconds. Mm. It's not ideal, but it's sort of been resiliently persistent. I yes. mean, it's, people still ask for them; they still look at them, and, and we try to create a new version of it you know, called the See Me. I remember when we oh, did okay. the Put Your Mindset to Work. Yeah. Um, which had more information about your sort of mindset and attitude, behavioral qualities mm-hmm. that we were talking about. But it didn't fly. Right. And so, you know, the CV is still there. And it, it's interesting, you know, when, when we went online in the 90s, you know, the magazine Management Today, which is quite a well-regarded business publication, mm. isn't it amazing? You know, in the future, people might apply for jobs on email. You might have an electronic CV, but it's still a CV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's still yeah, of there. course. So I think, I, I, I feel it's, you know, I think the time it's worth putting some time and attention into your CV and yeah. keeping it up to date. Yeah. So because it's still a document that has currency, and I think it will. Yes, I think I think you're right. Um, certainly for the foreseeable. Um, you touched on mental health and well-being. I, if I may, I want to delve a bit more into that around your own mental health journey. Any kind of instances where you've struggled with that, and the importance of it in the workplace as well. Well. I, I guess I've been lucky to the extent I haven't struggled with it severely, but I you know, have ups and downs, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, like everyone, I think absolutely. And there, there are most days I, you know, I'm keen to get out of bed, but not every day. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to so, say, what gets you out of bed? <laughs> so, yeah, so you know, some days I think oh, I quite like to hibernate for you know, yeah. But I think I think it, it you know it can be tough, and I think it's particularly we've we've had a lot of challenges lately Mm. with you know very significant changes in our working lives and circumstances because of the pandemic absolutely Uh, and now you know now the the state of the world is also very concerning Mm -hmm. and that causes understandable anxiety i think so so that affects different people in in different ways and i think for some people you know the the working from home thing Mm. was a positive yes but for others it really was not no and i think the, the sort of way that technology has worked has been brilliant in terms of keeping the show on the road yeah but it has sort of made people more isolated from one another Agreed. and it's created distance and and, and i think it's important I, I feel as a sort of business leader to get that balance right now yeah what you know i don't want to be sort of forcing people back into the office mm-hmm. but i do think it's good to meet up I've, I've had this debate on, on LinkedIn, um, and I, f- I feel that people generally sometimes need to be careful what they wish for, because I, I, I feel that we, we've been conditioned over the last two years to kind of accept and almost enjoy the work from anywhere, work from home thing. But now that now the weather's better and there's less restrictions, people are gradually going back. And I feel being a, a Ned into quite a few different businesses, there, there is some 
a hangover around using that card of mm, I've got mental health or I'm not comfortable going back into the office. And I feel that the longer that goes on, the actual more detrimental it can be. Yeah, I think, I mean, that, that sort of social anxiety, I remember myself being invited out, you know, to a sort of friend's dinner or something. I was yes. thinking, oh, oh, hang on. Yeah, we'll that, get that. Yeah, but, but this was particularly at this, after mm. the pandemic. And yeah. We were talking about it the other night and everyone feels that. Mm. And I think that when you go back out or you go and see people, it, you, you suddenly feel good again or it feels better. Of course. It, that, so it's good to talk to people. And, I, mm. and, I, and, the, the, and if, you, if you're not able to talk to people, I think the, the problems or the anxieties you have are in danger of building mm. because it's so helpful talking. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's a, I think that the, the mental health has become more challenging as well because of social media. Yes. Um, and I see that quite a lot. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Well, just I, I have you know, teenage and young adult children, and my youngest daughter says, you know, she's at Instagram, for instance, she really likes. Yes. But she feels it makes her unhappy. Mm, <laughs> but yeah. she still still uses it, or she's mm. trying to get off using it. And so almost like a sort of a bit of an addiction. And 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 the, she wishes it didn't exist, or or says to me things like, yeah. "What's it? What was it like before? You know, um, when you didn't yeah. have all this?" And you know, it's mm. an, it's we, an we extra cope, thing. We seem that, to cope fine back then. <laughs> yeah, we, absolutely. Yeah. It was an extra thing. For people. You know what? I think people were more present back then. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. go out now, absolutely. you see people everywhere on their phones with other people. Yeah, you know, it, even the most um, iconic of sporting moments, you look at the crowd, they're 99% of them are actually on the phone trying to get the best shot. They're not actually, as an, yeah. exa as an example, we holidays and things like that. I'm not saying that I'm, I don't do that because I do. But Yeah, we all do it. Yeah. I mean, they're sitting. Yeah. So, so, you know, that, but I think people were more present for each other before that. Yeah. And, and that was probably more valuable than... Genu gen generally sort of acknowledged now. On, on, on that point, um, you've been around longer than I have, um, but in terms of leadership, I, I think leadership's changed quite a lot, particularly over the last five to ten years, and even more so in the last two years. I think there is more talk about currency. The currency used to be the size of your house, watch, car, your status, or, you know, or being motivational and inspirational as a leader. But I, I think great leadership qualities such as curiosity, gratitude, vulnerability, compassion, empathy, thankfully are coming into the full. And they, so they, people say that they're, they're the softer skills. I think they're actually the hardest skills to master and, and the most impactful skills. What would you say to that? I, thought, I think ultimately leadership's a relationship and, and those mm. those qualities are very important in relationships. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. so, you know if, if, you, if, if you're not showing gratitude or humility, or, yeah. um, then your leadership will sooner or later be in trouble, I would say. Mm. So, But when, when I was uh, working for a, a big recruitment company, they, they pushed pushed us hard and it was right back then it was it was the number of calls that you made it was how long you was on the phone for it was how many hours you were doing it was how and i think that was right then but what, what was right then not isn't necessarily right now so so what's changed you or the world well, I, I, th I think hopefully me but i think i think i think i think that generation were motivated by that this generation are completely different and i think they've got a different set of skill sets they've got a different mindset and, and they want different things i don't think it's about money as much i think it's about development and um and learning what do you think well, i think having a shared and common purpose is really important if you if, if you're clear about what you're trying to do mm. 
and 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 the, if everyone's bought into that, I yes. think that's really. I agree. Um, <clears throat> and I think you see, you know, the leadership has had a bit of a crisis, has <laughs> You know, when you you're at the top level, when you look at politics and yeah. what's in yeah. the media and stuff, and it's uh, but but there are still. I believe lots of really good leaders around, and you know, it might be mm. team leaders, business leaders, sports leaders, and and you can look and learn a lot from them. You know, yeah, Jurgen Klopp. I'm not a Liverpool fan, but I think he's a fabulous guy. <laughs> he's great, yeah. and I can see why that. You know, and the sort of statements he put out around the pandemic and things, I thought were spot on, and I can see why. You know, his team is sort of motivated and galvanized yeah. by him. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's sort of, and I, he seems to have a, a, he seems to be in touch with. The people around him he's not sort of remote i think i think what i get from him is to interrupt you slightly he he knows which leadership hat to wear to whom and to when what i'm trying to say is that i think he's quite agile and sometimes he'll he'll give someone a a, a fucking bollocking if i may swear it's your uh, podcast well you know <laughs> it's really just like. sort of check I'm sure, you, I'm sure you're used to swearing in your career i've, I've heard that uh, word before yeah, funnily, funnily enough yeah. um whereas i think you know there are leaders that i think they're quite one-dimensional in their in their approach yeah, I think you you need to bring versatility to your sort of leadership. Yeah. And I think, you know, swearing of, and everything. I think what sort of managed anger, I suppose, yeah. I it, rather than just blowing off completely, yeah. is actually quite an important aspect. Absolutely. You know, if something's really unacceptable. Yes. You need to make that clear. Appropriate anger is important. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I mean, but it, it shouldn't be uncontrolled anger. No. no. Because then you lose <laughs> yeah. a lot of power. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. people end up laughing at you behind your back. Yeah. So, so you know, it's a. But when it's appropriate, it, it is appropriate, and and mm. and I think you know feedback is an important part of leadership. You know, letting yeah. people know when yeah. you you think it's going well, and they're really helping towards that common purpose, and when you think maybe yeah. that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. And and I think a lot of a lot of people struggle with being direct and honest with people. Sure. You know, so when we say we we our values to be fair, open, and honest, I would give someone honest feedback. Yeah, but don't water it down afterwards. No, well, I mean, but, you know, the, 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 it, it is someone described, you know, the way we take on information, you know, like negative information is, it sticks to us like we're Velcro. And, right. <laughs> and yeah. positive information bounces off us like yeah. a Teflon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. So, and that is true, I think. You know, you might yeah. get half a dozen pieces of feedback. The one you sort of focus on is the next. So mm. it's worth bearing that in mind when you're giving people feedback yeah but i think you i think it's an important part of being honest with them yes so I, i'd say this and and some people disagree with me but i think ultimately people fire themselves okay so either because they haven't done the job competently or they're not yeah. able to deliver on whatever it was they were contractually hired to do whether it's to make a certain number of placements or yeah. deliver a certain service yeah or because that they, they let themselves down on, on, on an issue of integrity shall we say so so you know there's a the trust is broken mm. and 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 i say to younger managers or leaders that you know because often it's a big deal for a young person to confront that and dismiss someone or ask someone to leave yeah or say we're not continuing with your probation or whatever it is the the yeah that individual has done that themselves all mm. you're doing is mm. is is acknowledging it so you know that's um i think important really i mean yeah. obviously there's a situation the, the situation where that's not the case is where there are redundancies because there's been a business failure or yeah. some sort of economic crisis and the company has to contract clearly then people are losing their jobs not because it's their fault but because of a change in circumstances mm. but otherwise i think there's some merit in that argument 
What's your view on, just to go a bit more deeper onto the kind of things like pronouns, woke culture, DNI, work from anywhere, work from home. Do you feel that the employee is wagging the tail more than the employee used to be? I mean, I, think, I, I sense there is, a di- there is a dichotomy to what it was like 20 or 30 years ago, but I, I think we're at a bit of hiatus as to, as to what's going on in that regard at the moment. Well, I, I think the world's changed hugely, mm. and, and and I think the worker has a lot more power now than they mm. did two years ago before sure. the pandemic. Sure. And you know what? I think that's a good thing mm-hmm. because overall, I think it will lead to a, a fairer deal for more people. Yeah. I think mm. it will improve family life because mm. people can work from home or they can have yeah. a bit more flexibility around when they work. Yeah. Know, I think the nine to five, I think the nine to five five days a week is dead yeah me too frankly yeah and and you know what i'm not mourning no. <laughs> <laughs> some business people are but i'm definitely not yeah and you know i think it's great that people you know we've got young parents and they can they can maybe take a couple of hours out early in the, the, the evening late afternoon to pick up their kids do their homework give them something to eat and then they go interestingly they go back to work if they want to yeah you know. yeah yeah and and you know ultimately what i care about is their success mm. their productivity the service that we're delivering yeah and if that's happening i'm less concerned with the precise details of when they're doing it yeah of course but the, but the, it does lead to potentially some sort of fraying around the edges where where you you can't necessarily I think share information with people quite so easily. You know, if the new hire was mm. sitting next to you and you were on the phone, they'd be picking up how you yes, how course. you led the conversation, how yeah. you asked questions. And, and if they're sitting at home, yeah, in another town, they're not doing that. And so, I, how we yeah. how we sort of onboard and integrate people, I think, is really yeah, that's important. Im- important. But you know, I, I welcome these changes. I, on the whole, I think they're good. I think it, you know, yeah. it's it's given people the possibility to be themselves more and i think a lot of what we had before dates back to the sort of industrial revolution when sort of big factories were built and everyone had to travel to work work in them for long hours yes and before the industrial revolution work wasn't like that no no. you'd you'd work where you lived yeah yeah typically be engaged in something artisanal or agricultural (laughs) (laughs) but it would be you'd be in your work in your local area and and perhaps we're going back to something like that which i think suits human condition better frankly it was international women's day recently um what do you think men can do more of to help women in the workplace well we had a very interesting um we had a panel discussion at read online um for international women's day where we have women leaders um talking about their experiences um talking about what they would like to happen and i asked the question how can we support you Mm. And one of the one of the um, questions or responses was sort of a mentoring structure. Yeah, and and I think men can mentor sure. women. Lead, you know, ultimately it's about leaders, isn't it? Yeah. So leadership. So I think mentoring and support is is one. I think you know listening is so important. Yeah, you know, a lot mm. of the women would say that you know they'd make a point in the meeting. The guy next to them would make a similar point, and then yeah. everyone would acknowledge what that person. That's said. true, actually. Yeah, <laughs> sort yeah, of yeah, just yeah. listening and being clear about. Well, actually, you know, Kathy said that first, and I'm going yeah. to acknowledge Kathy, not, not, not Brett who piped in late. So, yeah. sort of give, giving them, you know, the the, the right share of voice, share mm. of you know, input, and acknowledging it. I think was something else that was. I think. I think. 
across the board, but particularly at the top table as well on your leadership team, I think you, you have to have that balance of, of male and female. I, I think I think we are human beings, but we are. I do think males and females do make decisions based from different places as well, and I think it's good to have a blend. I think it's really important, and and you know our our business at Reed is fifty eight percent women, right. Um, so you know, we we would be nothing without them, mm-hmm. and, and so it's absolutely right. And so yeah. we 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 have have our own women in leadership initiative where we 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 seek to increase the percentage in leadership roles. It's not fifty eight percent; it's just below fifty at the moment, but it's it's improving all the time. And I made my own commitments to support that. Yes. Um, so the other thing we do interestingly at Reed is we have a charity called the Big Give. Okay. And our business is 18% owned by a charitable foundation. Oh, really? Right. And so this Women's Day, we launched an appeal for over 100 women's charities Mm -hmm. through our Big Give um, platform. Yeah. And we raise over a million so far for different charities that support women and girls in in different areas. Brilliant. So that's the first year we've done that. And I hope that will grow and become a Mm. a feature of what we do at that time of year. The, The phrase, nice guys come last... I heard Gary Vaynerchuk dismiss that, and I agree with Gary Vaynerchuk around. I, th- I think you can be a nice guy and be ruthless and be successful in business. And, you know, I've only just kind of met you properly today. But I think I think if we go right back to your younger days, in your teenage days and your early 20s, you talked about you did some stuff for the Afghan refugees. You've done some stuff for the prison service. I think you, 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 you're very charity-focused. And I feel that... Because you've got a purpose, I think that's been the the, the, the catalyst as as to how you've grown the business. And I I, I want to go back to purpose. And I think I think I think that um, being an arsehole, be, you know, being this dictatorial old school leader always catches up with you in the end. And I and I feel you're a shining example where you can actually have purpose, be a nice person, and have success not just financially but also those other elements as well. What would you say to that? Well, I, I hope I'm not an asshole. <laughs> That's not even, I mean, some people... Some, you know, some might say that. I know there are people out there that think I am <laughs> because for various reasons. Yeah. You know, I get feedback from various things. So you make decisions. I suppose I always try and make decisions that are, I feel uh, ethically I could stand behind yeah. and that are right for the business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that might mean I, I have to ask someone to leave or yeah. have to make a difficult decision about a business operation or unit that we're not going to carry on. Yeah. But I, I, I always think, you know, if, if you have to make a difficult decision, it's then about how you go about it. So I've, sure. I've had to go. You know, so we, we had to close a contract down in the past because something had gone wrong. And, yeah. you know, I made, made the point I, I, I wanted to go there in person and tell everyone who worked there that this was happening. Mm. And and that's not a nice thing to do, but but I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And then they can ask you questions directly. Right. And and, and um, they might be very unhappy about that decision, but at least yeah, you've had an yeah. opportunity to explain it to them, and importantly, hear what they have to say, because there might be things that you learn or can do. Sure. That will improve it for them or for the business in some way. So that's why I think it's you know this idea yeah. you just send a, a, a junior person to tell them that, you to know, do your dirty it, work. It's, yeah. you're, you're all redundant, or you send yeah, a message. Yeah. I think it's wrong yeah, because you know they have an opportunity to ask you about it but you also have an opportunity to hear from them and I think that's important so I think there's a way of working that is good for the business and I hope ethical mm-hmm. that that 
is sustainable ultimately. Yeah, yeah. You know, that you, because I'm, we're in this for the long run. You know, we want to b keep building our business. Longevity is important to us. So we want to behave, we want to do the right thing because we want to look our kids in the eye and say, you know, this is a great company and you yeah. come and join us. Yeah. But we, we, yeah. we also want it to be sustainable. So I think you have to try and work in a way that is. And, and if you behave really badly or you treat people with disrespect, mm. that doesn't get forgotten about. No. So, you know, it's, so I think there's a sort of sustainability aspect to it. Mm. And we feel really strongly, you know, we live and work in a community that if, if, you know, if the business is able to support people who are in difficulties or you know the charity that's doing right. good work then why not why, why would you not want yeah. to do that and, and and so we're sort of the way we're set up now with our foundation owning 18% means that one day a week everyone in Reed works for charity right and people love that and you know people when when they think of joining the company like that and i love that i think it because you know the money that we make on that day goes yeah. into the, the, the foundation fund and then it's used for all sorts of different charitable causes so I think that's brilliant and I think I think this is where I think society and work has changed and I, every time I say this I, I still get flat from people saying no you're not but I, I still stand by it I think money isn't necessarily the number one reason why people work or set up recruitment businesses or go into recruitment I, I, I do believe that um, that kind of stuff people go for more these days than they than they ever have well, people ask me, you know, why do you still work? Yeah. I guess I'm a certain age and I've, I've got some money. But I can't imagine not working. I mean, I love it. And, yeah. and it's because we're able to make an impact. We can make a difference. We yeah. can reach more people. We, we're, you know, through our efforts, we can change things. Mm. And why would you not want to do that? Yeah. So yeah. I think that that is very closely tied to purpose. And it's for me, it's energizing, it's motivating, it's sure. rewarding. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess ultimately it's what you're about. What's, what's your proudest moment so far? Oh, becoming a dad. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> How many kids have you got? <laughs> Six. Wow. Blimey. Uh, yeah. no, I mean, family is very important to me. But I think, you know, in life, I think that's the other thing. It, you know, we are all from, or you know, we all have families in some shape, form, or other. And, yeah. and I, I think family is so important. And, and I think, you know, having, I feel very lucky having a large family. Sure. So, you know, and, and I, I'm, because it's a family company, mm. where does business end and family begin or the other way around? Yeah. It's sometimes quite blurred. It is. And that can be good and bad. I agree. But um, it's the way we kind of are. So it's, <clears throat> I, I feel Reed is, is, is an extended family, our business, and we're an entrepreneurial family at its core. Wow. And, 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 and that's how we sort of approach things. It's really interesting. A lot of people challenge that family thing and say, look, you can't treat business as family because, you know um, – complacency happens you, you know you, you lose that kind of commercial edge it's not like a you put the, the cult comes into culture because it feels like no one can leave but you're the dichotomy of that with sir alec as your father as the founder he's still still on the bloody phones these days isn't he <laughs> these days he's still, he's still on the off. payroll he's 88 <laughs> right. yeah Unbe unbelievable so I, don't the, I don't think there were many com uh, companies what was it five or six different generations I yeah because wow. he was born in 1934 wow so yeah, he still and he still contributes, and he he has ideas, he has suggestions. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's he's worth his pay, you know. So amazing. So I think that's that's great because you get such perspective. Mm. You know, so when we had the financial crisis in two thousand and eight, and everything looked like it, you know, it was tanking, and it looked really serious for the business. <clears throat> I'd never experienced that before. Yeah. And 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 I said, well, yeah, what's what's your take on this? And he said. 
you know, when when you're going into a recession, it's very hard to know how long it's going to last. Mm. But in my experience, they last six quarters. Right. Okay. And you know what? He was exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It was, but it was quite reassuring just knowing that. Yeah. You know, it's like when you have a young baby and they cry all night. You think, how long is this last? <laughs> but it doesn't last Ex- forever. That's experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, you yeah. sort of think, well, about three months, or if you're unlucky, nine months. But, yeah. You know, so sort of, Nothing lasts forever. Yeah. So, but that was very helpful to me mm. at the time because it gave me a sort of framework to approach it in. And so some of those those experiences, you know, I found myself sort of talking about the 1970s today, because I can right. remember the 1970s. In the 1970s, there was a war in the Middle East. Oil prices went through the roof. Right. There was hyperinflation, and then there was a recession. A bit like now. Yeah, exactly. And I thought, that could be the playbook we're going to see now. Yeah. And so you, we ought to think about that. How do you run a company in a in a high inflation environment? Mm. And and for recruiters, another point Alec Reid made to me is it can be quite good. Sometimes it can be an opportunity. Because, because if you think about it, if you're charging 20% and the salaries are going up, yeah. your income goes up just automatically. So, sure. so, you know... But how do you manage that and your workforce's expectations? You know, we've never run. Yeah. Well, people of my generation even have never run a company in a high inflation environment because the last time that happened was the 1970s. Right, right. And, and, you know, we're close to retiring. So this is interesting. So who do you ask your 88-year-old founder (laughs) (laughs) who can remember that stuff? So, you know, it's interesting. So it's quite helpful. What are you going to miss most about him not being around in the future? Because he sounds like he's probably your, your number one mentor, right? Yeah, no, I, I find that, that that's the hardest question you've asked me. <laughs> and and, and I, I miss everything about him. He's, he's not only my father, he's a wonderful mentor. And he's a very original thinker. He's very original. Mm. He's a brilliant man. Yeah, of course. And you don't meet brilliant people, but to have them as your father, it makes you blessed, really. So, yeah, I, I, mm. I, I'll miss so much. Above all, being able to pick up the phone talk to him. Yeah. Which yeah. is the case, I think, when anyone goes that you... You can no longer hear their voice or ask them a question. So um, what about the legacy then in terms of when you go as well? Have you thought about succession planning? Yeah, no, I think about that quite a lot. <laughs> if you ever do go. <laughs> no, I'm, well, we all go, don't we? I mean, that, we've got to think. I don't want to go anytime soon. And I hope I, I'd like the company to continue as a family company. Right. But is that possible? I don't know. It's much bigger than it was. It's more complex than it was. How many people you um, want now? 5,000 people. Right. In, in, in a number of different business lines, you know, from read online, which is quite high tech, and sure. web business. Sure, yeah. Read in partnership, which is very much sort of public service and delivering delivering important public services to, you know, read specialist recruitment, which is obviously mm. the original recruitment company. Those are the biggest. But then we've got other businesses as well. So I, I, I hope I've got you know six children and several of them are interested in business or wow. involved in business. Okay. So we'll see. Is there a plan then? Because I mean, most most businesses like to have a plan around in the next three five years time. We're going to get to this point where we might want to sell it or whatever. And I've noticed again. Correct me if I'm wrong. That you've had no external investment. You've had no acquisitions. You're completely organic. Is that is that right? And secondly, is there a destination in mind where? You're going to give some of the business away to investors or even your employees. Well, that is essentially correct. Yeah, the business has grown organically since that original seventy-five pound investment in, wow. in 1960. Wow, and it's been self-funding. Mm. Um, but 
we did we did my father did float the company so it was a public company okay i think between 1972 and then i took it private in 2003 oh right so it was a publicly listed company for yeah. a period yeah he he rather unhelpfully said not long after he'd floated it that it was the biggest mistake he'd ever made and then so oh, when wow. i was then in charge as ceo every investment analyst would ask me but your father said it's the biggest mistake better try and fix that mistake so we took it private in, in uh, yeah. 2003 and now the b largest shareholder is actually the reed foundation but then uh, the family is uh, the, oh, okay and various family members own the rest of it so so it's a family-run mm. company of the largest share being a foundation yeah um we don't want to sell it no we want to keep growing and building it um, we're interested, as, as I said, in longevity, and you know I hope to continue to do that while I still can. You know, as you know, I'd certainly like to do that the next ten, fifteen years yeah. if I if I'm how able. Do you, how do you stay ahead of the game then, in terms of like innovation and technology? I mean, to, to get to one whatever one whatever we're just billion, over a billion yeah, turnover. It's, yeah, it's phenomenal. I mean. What's next? Well, I think you have to, yeah, and that's that's one of our mottos. What's next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a question you should keep asking. Yes, uh, and and it's interesting, isn't it? None of us know what's next, but I think it's about floating boats all the time, trying to see, yeah, you know, trying yeah, things, like you know, uh, having a go, and mm. so. We're very interested in technology. We, we were the first recruitment agency to go online back in 1995. Oh, right. So, wow. so we, we, and we, we've continued that interest. And in fact, the people who were involved then, some of them are still with us now. Yeah. So we have our own you know, CRM system, for instance, that we've developed in-house. Okay. Uh, and um, we've got, obviously, the website. And we've invested mm. a lot during the pandemic in our digital, what I rather pompously call our digital real estate. <laughs> <laughs> so try, sounds, sounds great. <laughs> try and upgrade our websites yeah. and things and brand. Yeah. So, so we'll keep doing that. And um, we've made some bit mistakes. You know, uh, we invested. I was trying to create a totally online uh, contractor service for okay. technologists. Yeah, yeah. And that didn't fly, and it cost us you know, millions. Right. Lost. But sure. you know, the ones that have worked have carried us on. So yes, we 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 try and keep trying things. And I, and, and I I think you can sort of if if you get something right and it's working, you can then grow it quite quickly. Yeah, I'd prefer you can to sort of do, tell. Prefer to do something, regret something I've done than regret something I haven't done. Yeah, and right. start small actually. Yeah, and if it seems to work, then you put a bit more investment around it. Well, that's how yeah. we began as a business. You know, one person in an office in Makes Hounslow. Sense. So you know, if you start small and then grow it up from there. We're kind of coming towards the last sort of ten, fifteen minutes. It's been fascinating so far. Thank you so much. Um, you mentioned uh, the mistake that Alec made. What, what's been one of your biggest mistakes in business and in life? Well, I think it's so important to trust people and trust is so important such an important part of business but i suppose i the, the ones that hurt me are where i feel my trust has been misplaced or you know yeah so you know i've had senior colleague in the past who turned out to be dishonest right and that was was it my mistake not noticing it sooner possibly possibly mm. Mm. um uh, but it was really difficult and so I, I think the ones that sort of linger are those that, that sort of people-related yeah. um, mistakes. Right. And I mean, I suppose as as recruiters, that might be because we're sort of most interested in <laughs> people. Yeah. But I think people-related mistakes. Because what I don't want to happen is if you have a bad experience and you find out that someone's been stealing from you or yeah. you know, as an entrepreneur, you don't want to then become 
distrustful of everyone you meet. That's a disaster. Very true. You've yeah. got to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So you've got to put. So I have this sort of mantra of trust everyone and no one. Right. So you know, I want to give everyone fair go. Everyone gets a chance to. Yeah. Enjoy. But then you need to have checks in place. You need to be able mm. to sort of. Everyone in the business needs to know that any stone can be lifted up and checked. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's a sort of culture where yeah. everything is open if asked. You know that sort of thing. You know, and I've had managers in the past who say, "Why are you turning up at the office without asking me?" You know, first mm. and I said, "Well, that's what I do." Do you think it helps if you're like that yourself as the leader in terms of having a bit of vulnerability, being open to feedback, as opposed to just being a dictator? Yeah, I think you should always be open to feedback. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's one of the good things about writing books. You always get feedback on Amazon. <laughs> Some of it can be quite harsh. So let's delve into that because one of them one of them's about is it where you see yourself, no um one of the questions that I don't like is where you see yourself in five years, which most interviewees or interviewers ask. But you've got a book about interview questions, right? Yeah, why are you? 101 interview questions you'll never fear again. And oh. that book is interesting. Those 101 questions, we it was that book's got my name on it, but the reality is it was crowdsourced. Right. Okay. So we asked our 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 customers, our clients, who, what's your favorite interview question? Mm -hmm. And we got hundreds and hundreds of questions back and we put the most common yeah. and the most interesting in the book. So those, are, so they're real questions okay. being asked by real interviews. So and that was one of them. Strengths and weaknesses is one, isn't it? Like You're the sort of fateful 15, we call that. Yeah. These are, you know, if, you could, if you can get well prepared for the first 15 in the, of the 101, you're pretty much covered for the whole yeah. lot. But they're really interesting. And um, where do you see yourself in five years' time? I don't know. I mean, are you asking me that as a... No, I'm not, <laughs> asking, I'm not going to ask. I wouldn't dream of asking you ask, that. Well, no, because <laughs> you think it's about... You can yeah, ask is, it if you want. Is but, it huh? a good question? It's, it's, one of those, it's one of those paradoxes. It's not the one that's most. it would be most important to me, isn't it? No, but, but isn't it a paradox where the majority of recruitment businesses are good at recruitment for their clients, but terrible at it, at, at their own recruitment for themselves? Why is that? Do you think they are? I think a lot. I think a lot of recruitment companies struggle to scale. Well, there's a lot of turnover in recruitment, but I think it can be a tough job. I, 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 yeah. Well, maybe that's something we've done okay because we we've, we've been able to scale. You're an exemption, obviously. Yeah, but I think it's really important to put the time. I suppose one of the, why is that? It might be because people rush to make a decision too quickly, or it might be because mm. they're so busy they don't give it enough time and attention. Yeah. You know, you, you do what's urgent over what's important. Or it's, I believe it's not even half the battle getting the individual through the door. It's the, it's the onboarding, induction, learning, development. It's the whole, it's not, it doesn't stop when they come through the door. I think that's, no, that's it just begins then. It's a retention, isn't it, I think. It begins then. We have a business school mm -hmm. out in the Cotswolds, which is an old, looks like Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> but we, I want to go. Yeah, no, people do go, they sort of enjoy yeah. it. It's, it's like a sort of, we have our induction week. Yeah. And they go, and, but it's almost like a cultural sort of thing as well because they get to know the company and mm. each other and they enjoy it. And Brilliant. I think that's, that that's works really well important. for us. So it's sort of interesting. But, well, you know, we don't, we don't get it all right. I mean, we, I wish people would stay longer. Our retention was better. I mean, recruitment companies struggle with that. Mm. What, what do you think the biggest reasons why recruitment companies don't get to your level or don't scale in general? Have you thought about that? Um, Which are not really... Well, maybe because they haven't been at it for 61 years. <laughs> or six, <laughs> soon to be 62. That's one factor. You know, if you keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you don't try and sell after five years. Yeah. I mean, so I suppose just keeping going is, is important. Yeah. We, we've only got to this... Yeah, and, and, and we've had some pretty hard knocks along the way. I mean, I think recruitment is a... Mm -hmm. 
it's a very cyclical business. So, is, you know, yeah. you, you know, we're all growing at the moment and yeah. business looks good after the pandemic. But then you worry about, well, when's the peak and what, when's yeah. it going to go off? You know, it's not going to be forever. Yeah. So, you know, it's taking each cycle at a time and building on that and trying to make the right decisions. So, and I suppose it's wanting or prioritizing longevity because I suppose a lot of recruiters mm. think, well, we'll build a business for a bit and then sell it or do something yeah. else. And, and fair enough. I mean, that's a different strategy. It's not ours. No. Um, so, you know, okay. that's how they choose to go. L last few questions. I mean, I, I was born as a contract recruiter and then kind of evolved into Perm and I've got my views on it. Um, a bit of a, a direct question. Which is the more sophisticated form of recruitment or the most challenging, most difficult, contract or perm? No, that's a difficult question. I mean, it depends on, on the client and on the specialism and mm. what, you're, what you're... I think if, if you're building a business, I always think contract or temp is very good business mm. because yeah. it, it... But you need a lot of cash. Well, it helps. So. If, if you get recurring revenue, you get a good contract to book. It enables you to make much better buying decisions yeah and and so f at the moment so 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 if you were looking back over the last 15 years contract mm. and temp business would have probably been the better performer but now it's perm yes because the, with this shortage of candidates and with um clients in a hurry you know they know they need mm. people um uh, the, the the perm business is really good at the moment and so yeah we've seen the perm business recover more quickly from the last recession okay. than the contract and temp whether that but i think the contract and temp if you're building a business is so important because yeah. it's the sort of sustaining element mm. you know, and it you have the ongoing relationship with the clients you know so we have yeah. you know, perm clients who might bring us once every couple of years and it's good business but, yeah, but yeah. you know but the the temp clients we're talking to every week so i mean i was a i was a the archetypal 360 recruiter. I don't know whether I was too controlling, but I, I didn't want anyone to do any part of the process. And I think over the, over the last 5, 10, 15 years, it's gone to like 180, 270, you know, 180, 90 even. It's like almost like, it's for going me, around in circles, it's like too we? many cooks spoiling the broth. Because the reason why I don't necessarily, I, th I think there's a place for it, but I feel that if there's too many people involved in the process, it's a bit like when it goes well, it's great. When it doesn't go well, there's no accountability. What's your view on that? Because I know, I know you've obviously you've got some big accounts. You, you'll have some delivery team. You'll have some. Yeah, we have elements in our business yeah. doing both. I, I'm surprised. You know, the 360 recruitment is a bit like the CV. I mean, it's sort of yeah. very resilient. Still there. Still <laughs> still there. there. Yeah. I mean, because that's basically what Alec Reed started doing in 1960. Sure. So you know, that's 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 got longevity and it clearly works. <clears throat> it doesn't work in every case or every situation, but it still has a, a an important place in the market. I think. Yes. And, and um, yeah, we have other parts of the business where we do you know, our talent solutions business where we're doing volume recruitment and it's not done like that at all. Yeah. And that works as well. Yeah. So it depends very much on the circumstances and and the the preferences of the recruiter. You know, what you want to do and what you you obviously like doing that mm. and you were good at it mm. so why wouldn't you put someone who likes doing it as good at it into a role where they can do well yeah i think learning all facets of this of the process is really important i think rather than just one or two i, th I think it's it's important to, to do that but you're right you've got to put put the right players in the right positions haven't you as well and i also think that um not everyone wants to follow the archetypal career ladder structure of consultant, senior consultant, team leader, manager, director, some people might want to go into a different part of the business as yeah. well. So I think it's important to understand the individual, not just, just not just yeah. the team. Well, I was talking to a friend in, who's in tech recruitment and he, 
he's ditched 360 completely and he, right, he, right. he says there are three aspects of the job you know sales relationship management and, and resourcing and they're divided up oh, that's quite good quite like that yeah so you know that and that works for him also the just the importance of back office right i think i think of a business of your size i mean you might you must have had quite a few um difficult situations with kind of chasing money and getting money but the import I, I think one of the reasons why businesses do well is that they, they treat the back office with the same level of importance as they do the front office what's your view on on that area oh for sure i mean i mean as i say to people you know without our credit control team no one gets paid because they collect the cash mm. <laughs> so and they really 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 and they get my absolute support you know because yeah. sometimes you get tensions but particularly when people are on commission there's some client who's slow paying and yeah yeah they don't want to upset them too much and this sort of thing <laughs> well the consultant no. doesn't yeah, but yeah. you know the 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 credit control is trying to get the money in and and, and in those circumstances i always find myself backing the credit control absolutely because of the terms of this they should pay on time and so i think you you need to take a sort of holistic view of the whole business yeah and you know it's that old mantra you know, about turnover big, vanity vanity absolutely. sanity and reality and that's rea cash is the reality totally so yeah I'm, I'm very focused on cash and i look at our cash in the business every morning and every evening right and i've done that ever since wow. i took over as chief executive more than 25 years ago I wonder you're doing well then. Well, I'm, I'm just <laughs> a bit obsessed with that because uh, you know I, 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 I like to say cash is the oxygen of business. Sure. So you sure. can be running a profitable business and go bust if you run out of cash. Totally right. So you know that's why I'm always looking at it because I also know you know we've got a big payroll to meet every week. Mm. We'll pay twenty thousand temps. Yeah. So you know we don't want to get that wrong. We've never no, missed a no. payroll, mm. and so it's important that our cash is well managed. Last couple of questions. What's what's been your kind of darkest moment or the most challenging moment, and also your your toughest business decision as well? Well, it's interesting. Darkest moments. I felt well. I was very worried in two thousand and eight when there was a week in two thousand and eight where the banking system looked like it was about to collapse. Right, of course. And I rang up our then finance director and asked, "Where's our money?" And he he said, "The Royal Bank of Scotland and." and the other one with Scotland, it's like Bank of Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they were the two that were about to go bust. Right, yeah, of course. So, yeah. so um, I was really, um, I thought that might be the end of the, the line for us. Because if, if the bank went down that had our money and we wouldn't be able to pay everyone on Friday. Wow. And, and since then, we've actually been more, more um, particular about dividing the cash up between more banks yeah you can't, you can't necessarily even trust the, uh, the institution bank now you can't you just can't do that no so so but that was new then um, the idea that a bank would go bust in 2008 yeah yeah was incredible so so now we've we've we've, we've spread it but i thought that that was a very worrying moment and then when the pandemic began and we were all told to go home i was thinking well how's that gonna work yeah. <laughs> how are we yeah. gonna manage that yeah and what, people were amazing in their response to that yeah and and we were able to get people set up working from home very quickly and and it just showed how sort of flexible and resilient people were mm. or are and and that was really inspiring so the, in, in a way those moments they they prompted great change in our business so yes. those moments that feel dark or challenging are often the moments where you make yeah. decisions if that, you know, that really change the future. And it's good to sort of be aware of that, really, or to hang on to that, because yeah, yeah. it feels horrible at the time. It's like when you're under great pressure, you then come up with good ideas. Oh, it's often the case, isn't it? Yeah, so mm. you know, those were in business terms. 
Fantastic. Mm. Two more questions. I keep saying that, don't I? There's always two more questions. <laughs> um, is there anything interesting about yourself that people don't know? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe. <laughs> so so I, I love animals. All right. So I'm um, yeah, so sort of a menagerie of animals. Um, and so I like riding and driving horses. I drive oh, a wow. horse and cart at the oh, weekend wow. for fun. Oh, really? In, in okay. Wiltshire, where I have a home. And, and we've got dogs. And, and I've got a tortoise. That has, which I've raised since it was a small little thing. It's now fully grown, Brilliant. which is called John Terry after the Chelsea football. Are you a Chelsea fan? <laughs> I am. Okay. But we, it was going so well, James. <laughs> yeah, anyway. It was, but you know, something else will happen. Uh, and and, and uh, the, the, the tortoise is, is, um, is, is like a sort of family favourite. That's brilliant. So that, uh, but... Yeah, and the other thing I suppose that not many people know is I stopped drinking alcohol three years ago. Oh, well done. Um, because I thought... I didn't want to do that anymore. And I found that really liberating. Mm. I really liked Was there that. a reason for that? No, well, sort of, I've just felt you know, I'd been drinking alcohol since I was sort of 15. I thought I'd have a break <laughs> for a bit, sort of thing. Fair enough. And, you know, and I suppose in recruitment, we go to a lot of parties. There's a lot of... Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, it always used to be work hard, play hard, all of that. And I think it's quite nice to give That's it a, really, really give it a interesting rest. interesting one to, to kind of suddenly just do that after decades of doing it. I think, um, what are the benefits I feel well. I, I suppose you, you feel great every morning. Yeah, <laughs> and so, it, it proves you, know, you, that you, don't, you don't need that external thing to to to, to be happier than what you. No, I feel happier for not doing it actually. Right, and and so I, I, I throw that in in case anyone else is out there thinking mm. they do the same thing because I found it really liberating. Fair play to you. And in closing, then, if there's one thing the audience can take from this podcast, what would you like to leave them with? Well, I suppose. I think it's really important to find a job or work that you love and and to keep looking until you do. Mm -hmm. Because I think there is that, that is there for everyone uh, and we can all find it. And and it's sort of so important really. Our, our marketing message I suppose is Love Mondays, but that sort of encapsulates it. Sure. Is is yeah, we all live just once and it's a big part of our life is spent at work or working. Mm. So it's good to do something you enjoy, yeah. If, if you possibly can, that goes back to purpose, isn't it? Yeah, and don't give up until you find it. James, absolutely humbled and honoured to have you on. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for by me. Take your hand. Thank you for enjoyed that. The Purpose Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry, the recruitment operating system used by over twenty thousand recruiters worldwide. I chose to partner with Vincere because I'm a customer and I love their modern rec operating system, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle and back office operations of executive search, perm contract and temp businesses. If you're looking for a breed of new tech partner, talk to Vincere. They have followed us on support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at vincere.io forward slash Chris O'Connell for an exclusive offer for all listeners.